hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. How much do you spend every month on alcohol? Is your drinking budget or lack thereof killing your finances? Imagine if you were spending over $500 a month on alcohol. Today's guest was doing just that. Similar to us, when we were living fabulously broke and unconscious about our spending, it was ruining his finances in more ways than one. Today's guest is Dylan Gay. Yes, that's his real last name. And he is the host of the Sober Gay Podcast. Dylan has an awesome story of how he got to sobriety and how it is allowing him today to make the kind of choices that are setting him up to live fabulously, not fabulously broke. By the way, in today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about addiction and alcoholism. If these topics are triggering topics for you, we'd love it if you just skip to the next episode or come back next week. For the rest of us, we're going to dive into how drinking and the LGBT community and money seem to be bedfellows that don't always have a happy ending. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so if you have questions or show topic suggestions, feel free to email us at questions at debtfreeguys.com. Now on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So Dylan Gay, welcome to Queer Money. We're, uh, we're yeah, we're we're uh, really looking forward to this show. Addiction and substance abuse are John and I are kind of, uh, kind of feel that these are very similar to money in the LGBT community, and that uh, people really don't want to talk about this, uh, espe- oh, yeah. especially the darker sides of these issues, whether it's money or uh, substance abuse, alcoholism. These are taboo topics, and uh, we just kind of think that folks want to just get on with their fabulous life, right? They don't want to talk about these kinds of things, even though they know it could possibly be hurting them in ways that they aren't certain. So we're excited to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I mean, people love turning a turning the cheek to alcohol for some reason they'll you know eat kale to be healthier they'll you know do all this other stuff but for some reason when it comes to alcohol they're like oh no 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 i don't want to talk about that right exactly <laughs> yeah. all right so just uh before we dive into this, folks, I just want to remind you, um, as I mentioned in the outset, if hearing stories about substance abuse, including alcohol, is a triggering event for you, please feel free to move on to another episode. There are plenty of other places that you can have the money discussion without this being the necessary topic. So we'll just a reminder of that. So Dylan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story so that as listeners, we can understand a little bit more about how you got to this point of being the sober gay. (laughs) Yeah, so I stopped drinking December 15th of 2019. So it's been about a year and seven days um, at the time of this recording. I had to do it for myself. I was it was getting out of hand. I was becoming one of those people that drank red wine every night. And I would always tell myself just two glasses, but I was literally drinking a bottle of red wine every single night for 10 years. And 
I never took a break. If I was sick, I would take my antibiotics and be like, well, I'll just have that. You just one glass tonight. And I would always convince myself to keep going after that one glass. Never knew how to stop. I didn't realize it was a problem until probably 10 years into it. And I was like ruining relationships around me left and right. And at that point, I had destroyed my receptors in my brain for feelings that I just didn't even care about the people around me at all. I didn't care about their feelings, nothing. I had just given up and I started evaluating myself and what was wrong with me. And for some reason, my whole life, I would always put alcohol aside and been like, that's not the problem. That's not the issue. It's got to be something else. And I had to be real with myself and say, how much is this affecting my life and how much is this affecting the people around me? And I started looking into some, they call it quit lit, quitting alcohol literature. literature. Uh, I found a book called This Naked Mind. It takes like an approach to alcohol that's non-biased. So it just tells you the facts about it and lets you decide what you want to do. And literally by day two of the book, I was sold and I stopped drinking, no rehab, nothing. I was done. I was sold. I was like, you know what? I have to rewire my brain and start from the beginning. And here I am a year into it. And my life has made a 180 completely for the better. So that's about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome and very, very, very inspiring. Could, would you mind sharing with our audience uh, what that 180 looks like? How has your life improved today? Yeah. So um, just about a, just even a year ago, yes, I was in a very fancy apartment that was way too expensive for me to afford. But that's just the thing. I was living unrealistically with alcohol as my guide, and I say that because all of my financial decisions were not in of sound mind ever. I wanted to be flashy. I wanted to be loved. I wanted everyone to, you know, respect me and love me and think I was the coolest shit around. <laughs> and so I would blow money on buying bar taps for people. I would, you know, I lived in the nicest place in Denver, uh, you know, all these amenities that I never even used for what, you know, here I am a year later, I'm able to make decisions for myself that are more financially sound. I downgraded my car. I made a couple downgrades in my life to help myself financially even more because once I started saving money from not drinking, I just wanted to snowball that and be like, oh, where else can I save money and where else can I evaluate my life and fix that? I love that turn of phrase, unrealistic with alcohol as my guide. I think it's uh, so many of us are doing, you know, David and I talk a lot about people living unconsciously. I've never really thought about it in that way that many of us might be using drugs, alcohol, other sorts of addiction as sort of our, our guide. So that's sort of numbing how we're spending and living is being somewhat numbed by those addictions. And so that may be why we're not making the wisest choices for ourselves, uh, because deep down internally, we might know that I don't need to live in this apartment or live in this condo or buy this car or have those shoes. But after a glass of wine or two, I'll buy anything when I'm on. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. Oh my God, I was so bad at the Amazon binges. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know, love that you say living unconsciously because it, it, it really is. You, I was such a, when I was a big drinker, I was such a, like an Instagram yoga and <laughs> like person like that. Like I was so like 
fake, honestly. I was I was fake woke. I would pretend to have medication sessions. I would take all these pictures, like pretending to do all these things. And it wasn't until I was able to have a sound mind until I was in my own body and mind together. It was like, oh, now I get meditation. Now I understand what the hell I'm doing here instead of just sitting here and singing commercial jingles in my head for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that phrase too of, of fake woke. I wonder, there's many ways you can sort of interpret that, but I wonder, you know, ask yourself internally as you're listening to this episode, to what degree are you living unrealistically with drugs, alcohol, or whatever substance as your guide? And to what extent are you living a fake woke life? I would argue that probably at least 50% of the people on Instagram are living that <laughs> fake woke life. Oh, yeah. This is to say, it is surprising how we can mask. And we're talking specifically here uh, on this episode about alcohol, but all the substances and all of the habits that can become addictive. I mean, there is addictive shopping, there's addictive lying, there's addictive working out, right? There are some people who get so addicted to that, that it becomes their, their unrealistic guide in their life, and it can cause problems for them in the way that they make decisions. Totally. And a lot of people think that you have to hit a rock bottom to fix your problems. Uh, one of the things I learned in sobriety, I don't know who exactly came up with it, but they say that if a building is smoking, you find the fire and put it out. You don't wait until the whole building is emblazed in flames until you start doing damage control. Right. So it applies the same way in our own self. If you think that there might be a, a problem with something, address it. You know, if you see that smoke, go find the fire and put it out. You don't have to hit that place that everyone thinks like, oh, you quit drinking? Oh my God, what happened? What right. what mm -hmm. went wrong? Did you <laughs> did you crash your car? Like all this stuff. I'm like, no, I just, I want to be better, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think it's, it, it, you know, it was one of your episodes that you were, actually, I think it was the episode about finances that you made the comment that, thank God I've ne I never had a DUI. And a lot of times that's the kind of the slap in the face that wakes some people up to their alcohol or drug addictions. But you're right. We don't necessarily have to have that. That's why John and I are advocates about me people not having rock bottoms when it comes to their money too. You don't need to be kicked out on the curb from your apartment to actually say, I need to wake up financially. Amen. Oh my God. I, I'm, yeah, totally. So you kind of made this comment about how your, your life has made this 180 and you're, you're making better financial decisions. Let's, let's turn the clock back to this time period of when you were drinking regularly and compare that today. How much do you think you were spending or how much do you think you've saved uh, maybe annually? by going sober. <laughs> so I actually, I shot the number low. There is an app that, um, and I'm not sponsored by this app, but it's really great. It's called I Am Sober, easy to remember. Okay. And I put the numbers low. And it's so at a year and seven days, it says here that I have saved $6,341. Wow. And 1,865 hours of my time. And like I said, I put that like at the bare minimum of my drinking every single night. So it's way more. It has to be way more because of all the, the bar tabs and things that I've picked up in the past for people. So <laughs> yeah, right. that number, I would say, is realistically probably more around eight or $10,000. Yeah. You know, it, you made the comment about picking up bar tabs. We've heard this from members of our credit card payoff plan that they are 
realizing now how often that they would pick up the bar tab for others. But I don't want to kind of make you feel even worse. But think about that $6,000. That's $500 a month. That's a car payment for a lot of people, a brand right. new car. Amen. A good car. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tough. <laughs> So I'm wondering, it is, it is that's how much you've saved or, or you were spending on alcohol directly. Have you been able to estimate sort of the adjacent costs or the tangential costs that you've had of making better financial decisions, not having those you know scroll holes on Amazon late at night with a bunch of... Right. Yeah. Money? And I, I thought of that when you approached me about the show. I thought like, there's so much money just not even purchasing the alcohol like that is involved. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that that is even so far as walking to the corner store because I'm too lazy to go grocery shopping to get coffee and orange juice when I'm hungover. Do you know what I mean? Like that right. upcharging on things like that, the Amazon binges at night, the ordering pizza every single night. Oh my goodness. I was ordering takeout food from Uber Eats and, you know, <laughs> pizza places around here just every single night. So that I didn't even include that money in my uh, $6,000 estimate. Oh my God. I don't even know. Maybe 15, 20 grand, I want to say, last year I could have spent on that. Okay, so I've got a lot to dive into with that. My first one is, I just saw you in real life on Skype, and you are skinny, so how are you eating pizza every (laughs) night and staying skinny? Because I need that diet program. (laughs) That's the thing. It was before. I've actually lost about 50 pounds quitting drinking as well, just naturally. I didn't change. I didn't go into this saying, I'm going to lose weight. And I didn't it's just been like an added perk i haven't changed anything naturally after quitting drinking i don't know what happened to my body but i just stopped craving all the crappy food at night i it just kind of just naturally happened i never was like i'm gonna stop eating junk after midnight because guess what if i wake up and want a tootsie roll at 2 a.m i'm gonna have one but i don't know what about the cravings (laughs) whenever the cravings for alcohol went away and the sugar subsided i i'm fine i don't have those binges like I used to. I would drink all night and then binge eat a whole pizza. It's amazing how when you make a slight improvement in your life, how that can snowball into other areas of your life. One of our most popular episodes is when we interviewed one of the members of our credit card payoff plan course, uh, Jeanette Longabardi, and she was on fire that day talking about the benefits of becoming debt-free. And one of the things she said was she didn't plan on it, didn't hap- it wasn't anything intentional. Other areas of her life improved, and she also lost weight. Yeah. And, you know, it, it she feels healthier. Bonus. Yeah. 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 Getting back to this idea of the impact that it has had on your life today versus the way it was in the past. Folks, if you have not listened to the Sober Gay podcast, especially episode six, where you, you all talk about finances, one of the things that I remember specifically, actually, two things that really kind of stick out to me, but one was where you talked about. <laughs> how when you would make the decision to let your bills go, that you would let your bills go by not paying them when you had the money, and Mm -hmm. then finally paying them when you were basically at this desperate point of having to pay them and having to pay all those extra fees, because they were late, because you got extra charges on top of that. So that whole idea is, it, it's not just the decision that you make in the moment, it's everything else that can happen to it as well. Yeah, a lot of people have in their in their brain this picture of the alcoholic as being, you know, a mess and, you know, not making any money. But pre-pandemic, 
I was making a lot of money as an alcoholic and still it didn't matter to me about the bills. I had the money in my account. It was like, I didn't care. I just, I would wait till the lights were off until I'd be like, Oh God, I guess I'll go talk to them. And I used to get shut off all the time. My electric would get shut off constantly. And it wasn't because I didn't have the money. I was just a, I was just an idiot. I didn't care that I was getting shut off. My car got repossessed in 2015. I had the money to get it back the next day. They were like, yeah, you're gonna have to pay like $2,000 to get it. I'm like, here, take it. I have it. I was giving my car back. I don't want to deal with this again. Just stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know why I was going through that so long. It's, it's just, I was so clouded in my mental from drinking every night. It ruined it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting because sometimes we talk about this, this catch 22 that happens when we start to make bad decisions. And I'm not just talking about financial decisions, but we, we make this bad decision and then we, have some financial consequence to that bad decision. And then we feel bad about the financial consequence. So we go back to our happy place. And for some people, that's their drug and alcohol, or sometimes it's shopping or whatever the the happy place is that got you into that whole place in the first place. And we just continue this cycle of, I want to feel good. It causes me an impact financially. I hate the impact financially, so I want to feel good. And there's just this kind of cycle that just continues and continues and continues when we, yeah. and we need to get off that merry-go-round. <laughs> yeah, it's the vicious cycle everyone talks about. You hear everyone say, you know, the vicious cycle, and that's one of them. It's, it's horrible when you get stuck in it. And, you know, like I said, I was, in, I was stuck in that cycle for 10 years until I was finally able to stop the reins and crawl out of it and say, oh my God. I need to look at all of this objectively and then make a decision of what I'm going to do from here. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who are listening, John and I, this, this is the middle of January. John and I, One of the reasons why John and I are talking about this topic is, one, we are doing a dry January. So we're close to halfway through our month of, of not drinking. We do this on a, a semi-regular basis. We do it several times throughout the year. You may remember back on the episode where we talked about some crazy things that we do to save money or to cut our expenses. Well, this is one of them because we know that alcohol is a portion of our budget. So we're doing this and you may be considering doing this too because you want to get maybe get into a different space financially. So I'm going to ask Dylan here for some suggestions for the rest of us because you've been practicing this for a while, right? So what are some alternatives to drinking? Cause it's oh yeah oh my goodness seltzer is my best friend honestly <laughs> a lot of people turn to coffee but honestly it just becomes another crutch so I took the caffeine out of my life as well because it, it was just another thing it was like okay now I'm drinking coffee every minute of the day <laughs> so yeah. seltzer I'm a huge fan of seltzer it's cheap you can get huge box cases of it at Costco or wherever you shop and it's usually free when you go out to get a, a seltzer water with a shot of cranberry. Mm. So that's one of my specialties. I love a seltzer with some cr- a shot of cranberry juice and a little lime in there. So that's one of my favorites for yeah. alternatives to drinking. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, if you've lost a bunch of weight, then clearly we know we did. you didn't just switch to soda or right. <laughs> pop but or I do, I whatever do you have call. those, like, <laughs> indulgences. If I want something like a soda or chocolate or something, I give it to myself. I don't, I'm not, like, you know, completely 
evil stepmother on myself. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's so, good. <laughs> were, were, were there any other uh, exercises or behaviors that you adopt to consciously stop drinking? Because I think to myself, sometimes David and I just like to have a glass of wine there with us while we're working or while we're having a debate or discussing something. Um, and it's just a, it's a thing to do. And for us, very often having a glass of water or seltzer water or whatever, it doesn't necessarily fill that void because there's some sort of subconscious disconnect for us. Were there right. any exercises or behaviors that you adopted to sort of maybe overcome that? It's funny you you say that because it is such a thing like um, people think that the glass of wine is what's giving them the happiness and they anticipate that glass of wine. And then once they get the glass of wine, you know, what do you do before you even have that first sip? You're already smiling because you have it and you're ready to engage in your conversation now. So it's really just about, you know, rerouting that happiness receptor in our brain. And we were never and I, I, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm sorry. I was never looking. I mean, I was never waiting for the glass of wine to hit me. I was just waiting for the glass of wine to be in my hands until I was happy. And it took me a long time to realize that that's what it was. It wasn't actually me drinking it. Cause I was, you know, once I start drinking, I was only good for maybe one or two glasses and then I get kind of messy and sloppy and I don't really didn't like that other part of me in public. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, one of the main reasons I started drinking alone because I was ashamed to be past that second glass feeling in public. So I guess just rerouting my brain to find out what makes me happy. That's not necessarily grabbing a drink. It could be you know, just hanging out with my friends. So many times I thought that, you know, hanging out with my friends meant that we were all going to get together and drink. And now we do still get together and they may have a drink if they want, but I don't have to. And I'm still there having fun, present, and I can leave whenever I want to now. I don't have to impress anyone or, you know, entertain conversation that's dumb to me or numb. (laughs) It's like, I can say, you know what? Fuck this conversation. I'm over this guy. He's annoying the shit out of me. Whereas in the past, I would have been like, let me buy a shot so I can handle this guy. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just different now. I'm way much more in control of those feelings now right. um, that I have so much sobriety under my belt. Yeah. I, I, I think, think about all the was... conversations I didn't want to have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I think about all the times I was just sitting there talking to people that made me miserable. But we had like that hey, moment because we're all wasted, you know, and yeah. we're like, oh, this is what we're bonding over the next day. If you ask me what we talked about, I couldn't tell you one thing that we mentioned. You know, it's just an empty conversation. Right. Yeah. I think true. it was in your introductory episode where you mentioned this. And I think many of us have been at this point, especially when we've had too much to drink. But do you recognize the point of where people were no longer laughing with you, but they were laughing at you? Yeah. Because of the, the, the your condition and... Like I said, I think plenty of us have been there uh, in those in those moments. But you bring up a good point here: the whole idea of socialization. I think that so many of us in the LGBT community are are feeling very thirsty for socialization right now because of yeah. because of quarantine and all that. But I think, especially as gay men, a lot of what we do as the LGBT community seems to center around drinking. Right? Yes. We do Sunday brunches. We go out on Saturday. If, well. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. You know, yeah. there's just there's just this so much of what we do. How have you been able to socialize without drinking? And has that also been a money saver for you? How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? 
Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. So, yeah, to what you said, the gay community is sponsored by Absolute Vodka. And I say that all the time. (laughs) It's just everywhere. Dating and things like that has been difficult for me because no one wants to hear it for some reason. So they think, like I said before, like instantly, like, oh, you had a huge problem. Like you must Mm -hmm. have hit rock bottom. You must have issues. You must be violent. You're probably going to hit me. Like all these things go through people's head when they hear that you had a drinking problem in the past you know they just they shut off completely and so i've learned to creep it into conversations because i don't want it to define me i say that kind of ironically because my show is called the sober gay (laughs) but (laughs) i don't like it to define me when i'm first meeting someone i because that's what they tend to go off of the rest of the time they talk to me is like oh he's the sober one right um i like to kind of just be like oh you know i don't i don't like to drink i i prefer not to drink just ease it in there and not scare people away. Like they don't need to know what I'm doing. Honestly, it's my business, what I'm doing. And I still go to, well, pre COVID, I went to bars and, you know, hung out with people still and I'm fine. I, you know, went on a couple Tinder dates here and there, went to bars. I, they didn't even notice, you know, and if they did, they're like, Oh, why are you drinking a non-alcoholic beer? I just simply said, I don't drink. So, but I love beer. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's just, I've, and then the financial aspect of that, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know, just not going out all the time. And like I said, I can leave when I want. So yeah, I'm still going to bars, but my tab is a lot different from the bar tabs I had before. Now it's just like, maybe sometimes they'll charge me for a cranberry juice or if I get a non-alcoholic beer or a Red Bull or something like that. But that's, I mean, it's just so rare anymore, too. It's kind of hard to answer that question with COVID going on because I feel like I haven't been out in <laughs> it's so a whole new long. World. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It so, is. I'm curious, when, when you know, pre-COVID and when you were sober, when you go to the bars, did anybody ever sort of put that pressure on you? Like, just have that this one shot with us or just do this one drink with us? Because like, we get that a lot when, when we go out, even with our even with our straight friends. It's always just, just even, just do this one. Oh, yeah. Um. So I, back in February, I went I traveled to Raleigh, North Carolina for my birthday because I have a couple, uh, lots of friends out there. I was sober at the time and it was the first time they had seen me since I had gotten sober. And these are the people that know Dylan as blast in a glass Dylan. And I went out with them, you know, partied, but they, you know, a couple people said to me, Oh, you're fine. You never had a problem. Like, what are you doing? I don't think you ever had an issue. Just have a beer, blah, blah, blah. And you know, you have to like, sit back and be like, okay, you know, they don't realize the severity of the situation. And now is not the time for me to, you know, give them a full explanation on sobriety, you know, in the middle of a bar. So I just politely say, you know, like, I told you I'm good. Let's skip, you know, on to the next subject, please. You know, just right. polite. You don't have to be so attacking. A lot of people get very defensive in sobriety, but you have to realize that the world is conditioned this way. And the way that I think now is against the grain. It's not the way that I had always thought before. And it's not the way that people think usually. So I can't, you know, be so quick to be, don't say that to me or don't do that because people aren't used to it. And it's up to me to help, you know, educate them on my situation and tons of other people that are going through the same thing. Right. I wonder too, and you, you probably can't answer this, but you know, in that scenario, I wonder your friends dismissing that you had a problem, they want to dismiss it for you because if, if, 
if you have a problem, what does that mean for me? Yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I don't want to, oh, I don't want to yeah. address that. <laughs> totally. No, no, no. That's I, you totally make so much sense. And a lot of people have said to me now, a lot of my friends that I was partying with all the time, you know, obviously being a drinker 10 years, a lot of my friends are alcoholics and I would never say it to their face, but you know, but they'll text me or DM me and be like, you know, I'm so proud of you all the time. And they're like, I'm so proud. I'm so inspired by you and all this stuff. And then I'll turn around and they're posting on their story. You know, they're doing Jaeger bombs 10 minutes ago. And I'm like, you were just texting me 10 minutes ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, but yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it is. People, they don't want me to have a problem because they don't want themselves to have a problem. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of that. Yeah, exactly. It's unfortunate that the LGBT community does seem to have a dish to be disproportionately affected by alcohol and drug use. And, and folks, before before you make a snap judgment about that statement, I just want to share some statistics with you. And this comes from the Addiction Center, a website called addictioncenter.com. Gay and transgender individuals use tobacco up to 200% more than those who identify as heterosexual. Alcohol, between 20 and 25% of the LGBT community have moderate to severe alcohol dependency. Marijuana, gay men are three and a half times more likely to use marijuana than straight males. Amphetamines, members of the LGBT community are 12.2 times more likely to use amphetamines. And heroin, the LGBT community is 9.5 times more likely to use heroin than heterosexual individuals. So clearly the data is showing a significantly larger number of us have either some form of dependency or are regularly using these types of drugs that are I will say, I, I mean, I've, I've read all sorts of, of information about this, and I understand that there is potentially some self-medicating going on here. So we have this disproportionately affecting us in our community. Dylan, what would you say are some of the warning signs that we can or should be looking for in ourselves or maybe those that we love? My biggest warning sign for myself was the guilt. I started waking up every morning feeling guilty. I had this bad habit and I'll be a little, I'm sorry to be a little graphic, but I had a bad habit of waking up in the morning. And the first thing I did was feel my butthole to make sure that it wasn't ripped open or anything bad had happened the night before. And I was doing that every morning because I was getting a little habit of blacking out and then waking up and a stranger would be next to me or I'd be halfway across town in someone else's bed and that became normal to me or I would find my way home and then start having these visions the next day of like being at someone else's house the night before that I didn't even remember going to. So it became quite normal for me to wake up and do that in act of checking myself to make sure that nothing bad had happened to me that I didn't remember. And honestly, one day, you know, it did hit me and I'm like, what the hell? That is the biggest red flag I've ever heard of in my life of my own self, of what I'm doing to myself. And I, you know, you can't see that in anyone else, but you hear people talk about the guilt and you see the red flags in them when they ask you, oh, how was I last night? Or did I do anything stupid? They're saying it because they're playing it off, but they really want to know what they did or if they did anything wrong. 
and it's the red flag, you know, and you just got it's hard to approach someone when you see those red flags too because everyone has to go through this journey themselves you know there's a lot of meditation involved a lot of getting to know myself it's not just like you get sober and you know all of a sudden you're clear minded no like when you get sober the door opens and all the shit you've been repressing for so long comes back up and comes out to the present and it's right there so it's hard to, you know, assess someone else's situation. And the best advice I have for, you know, if you see someone else that has a problem with drinking is just to just lead by example, influence them in ways. Even if you are a drinker, try not to influence them to go drink with you and influence them to go for a walk with you or something else. You know, you don't realize how much you influence the people around you and you know starting with yourself and evaluating your own problems can do so much to the people around you i can't even tell you there's been at least 5 of people i know probably 5 or 6 actually that people i know that are sober now because of what i've done and what i've shown them that i did with my life and cuz i was a fucking mess and so they're like oh my god if dylan the guy who's, you know, blacked out showing his dick to everyone every night for a year. Like, if he's sober, oh, my God, maybe I can do it, too. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, I appreciate you telling the story. And sometimes a little bit of graphicness is sometimes what we need. Folks, I'll just share with you that my grandmother passed away when I was 17 because she was an alcoholic. And one of the things that – and we talked about this just briefly prior to the show, because of a very, I guess, insensitive uh, ad campaign that Tropicana recently put out. But one of the things that I remember specifically about my grandmother is my grandmother used to hide alcohol around her home. And to be honest, I don't know who she was hiding it from because she lived alone. So I think that she was maybe hiding it because (laughs) maybe her dad, I'm sorry, my dad or, or my uncle would come over and take it from her when they knew she was drinking. But I know that we started as a family, started distancing ourselves under certain circumstances from her, ignoring her when she was drunk or trying to not engage her in a situation where we knew that it could potentially lead to her drinking. If you find yourself doing that for others, it's quite possible they have a problem. If you see other people doing that for you, it may be time to take a look at uh, at your situation. Again, we're not therapists here. We're not going to be able to judge and say that you are or are not, but it's an important thing for us to reflect on because so many in our community are affected by this. So, Dylan, kind of getting back to this whole idea of, uh, of having a fabulous life, because I think that's what all of us want, and it sounds to me like sometimes buying the rounds of shots or drinking with everyone, because we've done it too, is a part of wanting to have that fabulous life. Why do you yes. think that that addiction, especially with alcohol, since that was your drug of choice, is not living a fa- fabulous life? Uh, yeah, it's it's mostly the way that we've been conditioned. We all think that alcohol is so glamorous and we spend hundreds of dollars of bottles of wine and champagne and you know you know we say it's from this special continent and it's just so regal and fancy and it just alcohol has gotten tied in with classiness and I don't understand how because if you look at it objectively it's 
you know, not that that pretty, you know, what it's doing to our insides, what it's doing, you know, to our personal lives sometimes, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone, but yeah, sorry, I got off a little bit there. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think it's completely 100% on track because I, I kind of think back to when I came to uh, my own, I guess you might say, when I grew up in the gay community was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Every it seemed like to me every gay man wanted to be a part of that A list group that went to all the circuit parties, right? And yeah. what happens at those? You know, lots of drinking, lots of drugs, lots of sex, and it's all considered living fabulously. But as you point out, there it's may not. be something else going on inside. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, from your experience, where do you where can folks get help? So from my experience, I did not go to any rehab facilities for this round. This is, I will be upfront honest, this is my third attempt in life at getting sober, the one that stuck. One of the best resources I mentioned earlier is the quit lit, uh, the quitting alcohol literature, especially for people who can't afford a rehab or can't take off time from work and they just want to explore their sober curiosity. I always recommend a book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Like I said earlier, I started the book and by day two, I was convinced. It's non-objective. It's not a book saying, you know, alcohol is the devil. It's going to kill you. You're done. Um, It basically just says the facts, what it's doing to your body, what alcoholism is, uh, how it's a choice, how people have been conditioned our whole lives. It really just helps open up your eyes. I will also say meditation is a route you should definitely take because you can't explain your feelings to someone else if you don't know what your feelings are. And so I always recommend a Calm app to people. They do have a free trial on there. It's amazing. Not sponsored. <laughs> For just an easy way to start out meditating and learning yourself. And I also do, I always mess it up, CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, just be, like, you know, as everyone should. And I use an app called Bloom for that. And I believe they also have a seven-day free trial. But it's all these things that I can do for myself that I don't, you don't have, it's so like, it's different now. You don't have to go to a rehab and spend 30 days there. You don't have to do all these things per se. If that works for you, great. I found it much easier to take on my sobriety on my own terms, you know, and do it the way I wanted to and not have to hear all these rules that, you know, certain people will make up for sobriety. There are no rules to sobriety. If you don't want to drink, don't drink. That's how I say it. You know what I mean? Awesome. I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of some of the aversion that people have with with quitting drinking is they sort of think, oh, I got to go to these meetings or I've got to go to this institution and I don't want to do that. I'm fine. I'll just kind of manage this on my own. And then they never actually manage it. But you're providing some tools that people actually can sort of slowly introduce into their own life. And to the extent that they're ready to execute on some of those recommendations, they can do so on their own terms. Right. I do recommend attending some AA meetings. They're free. I don't necessarily believe everything they say because they're very centered around God. But someone once, because I go went to an LGBT uh, AA once, and they told me to just replace God in my head softly with, you know, a higher power of whatever my choice. And right. if you can just kind of, you know, translate it in your head, you'll get what they're trying to say because it is a universal message. They're all just there to not drink, and they all have this, you know, very similar experiences. And since they're choosing God, it's whatever. I'll choose whatever I want to do and however I want to go about it. 
and that's okay. You know, you don't, Mm -hmm. like I said, you don't have to, sobriety is not written out in a book that you have to read. It's, it's whatever you want it to be. And it's your life. You can do what you want and you don't have to quit drinking forever. I, when I first started this, I was like, all right, I'll give this like a week. And then I hit a week and I was like, oh, that was easy. You know, I just kept going. And I got to a point where I was like comfortable with just not at all. And Mm -hmm. I was totally okay with reintroducing alcohol into my life at one point. But at this point in my life, I don't need to, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's awesome. It just a reminder folks that, that, you know, this, this episode is really kind of designed to share with you some options. We, we know that just like there is a gender spectrum, there is a sobriety spectrum yes. of individuals who are 100% sober and individuals who are in serious need of some help. And we know that all of us file, fall somewhere on that spectrum. And if you're on that spectrum in a place where maybe moving towards the sobriety end may help you financially, as even for just a, t- a short time period, like John and I do once, uh, do for a month, then please try that. If you find that you're closer to the end where you'd need some help, you can use some of the suggestions here that Dylan has provided. And remember, there's always uh, hotlines and other sources out there that you can look for. Yeah, um, you're so right. It is, it is such a spectrum. You're so right. It's because I have plenty of friends who can have one glass of wine and be done. And I, look at them like, are you insane? How the fuck can you do that? I could (laughs) never do that. So like everyone is different. And like, like I said earlier, it's all about listening to your body and learning who you are inside and then making the right decision for your relationship with alcohol. Absolutely. So Dylan, we appreciate you uh, sharing this information with us. And I I will tell you that I, I really love your podcast because you and Aubrey you're so authentic with the with the stories that you tell and the things that you say. So where can folks find out more about you and hear your podcast? Yeah. So our podcast is on all major platforms, The Sober Gay. You can visit us online at thesobergay.com. And our Instagram is The Sober Gay Podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dylan. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I love you guys. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Normally at the beginning of the show, we share some wins from the Queer Money Facebook group. Instead this week, we think that Dylan's win of going sober and our dry January thus far are great wins to share. We'd be happy if you joined us and saved a few bucks. Your queer money takeaway this week is to jump over to debtfreeguys.com forward slash fab2021. That's F-A-B-2021 to get the fabulous life combo. We use this tool to create the social life we needed to make sure we still had fun and were social, but didn't wreck our budget. It's also the tool for us to use to find ways to have fun without drinking. Make sure you grab yours. Thanks again and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.